In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. This is episode number 60 with Antonio Thornton, the mouth of money mouth marketing. My name is Tony Grebmeyer, and just for a moment, I want you to remove money from the equation. And what would your definition of success be? Well, today we're going to go up Success Mountain with Antonio and we're going to learn about his ups and downs. You know, this gentleman has run 13 businesses in the last 15 years, nine of which he says were complete failures. He feels these experiences have taught him more than anything else. Any marketing degree you would have signed up for, any class you would have gone to, he's learned more by these failures that has helped him to become more successful today. Now, he's learned the hard way by trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing over and over again. I think there's somewhere the definition of insanity is in there, but I know this gentleman isn't insane. His name is Antonio, and I'd like to welcome him to today's show. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tony. Glad to be here. So glad to be here, man. Well, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule, the mouth of money mouth marketing. Hey, first and <laughs> foremost, I ask one question out the gate. What is your definition of success? Being able to have the experience in life that you desire, whatever that experience might be, whether it's travel, whether it's relationships, whether it's your health, uh, but having the experience that you want to, to have. So, you know, again, taking money out of the equation, what do we really want to do? You know, we, we want to connect. We want to relate to people and even ourselves. So being able to have that connection, being able to have that opportunity to experience life in the way that we want to experience life. I love it, man. Power of connection goes deep, man. So does the power of God, in my opinion. So, Yes, sir. Um, want to say thank you for the opportunity. We got a chance to uh, connect at a dinner a couple weeks back in Nashville. I shot you a text last minute said, hey, I'm throwing a dinner together. Would you like to come? And we got a chance to spend some quality time. We even the day before at a little roundtable session, we were able to hang out. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is your realness, your authenticity, your integrity, the person you show up every single day in the world as. So what I want to do is learn about you today and get you to help us get up Success Mountain. I mentioned in the intro, you've had 13 businesses in the last 15 years, but before you started running businesses, I want to learn where you're from, what you really kind of started out as a young man, and then how you ultimately got into business. That's kind of my first part of the show. I kind of want to learn about you. I want to learn about how you got into business. And then we're going to start talking about some of your, I don't call them failures, man. I, this is what I've decided. <laughs> I've reframed this whole world. Right. Reframed it to be like this. Chase the wins, study mm-hmm. the lessons, and never give up. Right. Right. I think that's who you are today as a person who's been chasing the wins, been learning from his lessons, and he's never quit. So, man, thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit. So, where are you from? I was actually born in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I grew up here for the majority of my uh, youth, uh, moved to Miami for a short period of time, then came back to Atlanta then moved to Vegas for four or five years and then came back to Atlanta. I always like to say Atlanta is kind of like the mafia. It just kind of keeps pulling me back in. So, um, so I'm, it's kind of home base for me right now until, um, until we get to the next level. What kind of student were you growing up? Well, I, I was, I was a, a good student at, at the end of the day. And, and the reason why you, why you hear the hesitation is because my, my mom put a lot of emphasis on education and she spent a lot of time with me, which I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for. But one of the challenges is that the area that I was in, public school, wasn't the greatest. And one of the challenges is, is that I wasn't challenged. I wasn't challenged as a child. I, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to really, to, to really just go, go, go intellectually as a child. I was kind of limited. And as a result of it, it, it kind of turned into boredom. And the one thing you don't want to do as as a child, particularly for a boy, is to have him bored because he's going to find something to do. 
So, you know, one of the things that, that kind of came up for me was I, I, I did get bored and I, and I found myself fidgeting and, and getting into things and what most people like consider trouble because, you know, I would finish my work or I would, you know, look at the work and say, man, this is so easy and I want to do something else. So I was a good kid, got good grades, uh, I would think. And, um, and well, I would say I would think I got good grades. But like I said, it kind of came out in almost not necessarily a disciplinary issue, but again, it was just it was just boredom. It, it was it was just boredom. So I was I was a pretty good student, I would say. Did you play sports growing up? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. I was um, relatively short as a kid and uh, a little chubby. But the one thing I did have going for myself is I was quick and also left-handed. So uh, I got pretty good at basketball because of those two things. And uh, that was kind of the thing that I that I really enjoyed was basketball. But I didn't really go in like a lot of the kids where they're taking the camps and they're playing every single league that was out there. I just kind of played during the summer because it was fun. It was something to do and um, try my luck at baseball. That didn't work. I ended up hurting my shoulder. So baseball wasn't the thing. And then I kind of migrated into track because, again, I was naturally fast. So track became my, my thing when I got a little bit older. So one of the points that you brought up is you, you weren't challenged as a child, right? Mm-hmm. When was the first time you can remember looking back at your life that you were challenged? And you really can take me back to that moment and maybe share a little story. Well, the, the school that I, I started in, I, and I'm not sure what happened, but I'm, I'm going to assume the school may have gone to my mom and said, hey, this is a good kid. He's making great grades and he really doesn't need to be here. And there was a program at the time called M to M and it stood for minority to majority. Mm -hmm. And it was a busing program that was put together to, to take kids who lived in, in the environments of, uh, you know, not the greatest neighborhoods and, and allow them the opportunity to, to get exposed to better opportunities and, you know, just have to say in the white neighborhoods. So the system was, was designed to help. And, and I think it did. And I'm, and I'm truly and infinitely grateful for the opportunity in that school. I, you know, again, I found myself finishing work quickly and, and, and not really being challenged. But when I went to this new school, they had a program that was called the discovery program and it was for advanced and gifted kids. And when I got in class, I thought it was, you know, it would be cool. And the thing that I that, that really drew me in, Tony, was that it wasn't just the typical, you know, here's, a, here's the, the book, read this portion, take this test. It was more of an experiential class. I remember one of the exercises that we did was to talk about sensory perception. And what she had us do, she had us put our, our heads on the desk so we couldn't see what was going on. And she made noises. Everything from, you know, tapping on the on the desk to to to, you know, flipping pages. And I remember she was walking back and forth, flipping pages in the book. And she says, "Okay, what am I doing now? What am I doing? And I said, "Um," I said, you're flipping pages in a book. And she so she says, wow, that's great. All the kids thought, you look, you looked, you peaked. But I was like, no, no. I mean, but but it was it was so amazing to me that she that she brought this experience into, into my life of being able to think outside of this box of education. So in that experience, there were, there were some things that I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what she was doing. And, and I felt that opportunity right there to learn, to grow. I felt that. And, and it was so amazing. It was just like, wow, I'm, I'm having to figure this out. And, and that's what it really, when I fell in love with school, that's really what I, and you know what, let me take that back. Cause I don't think I ever fell in love with school. <laughs> I, I fell in love with learning. That's what I fell in love with at that time. I fell in love with learning. And, and I, and I have to say it was, it was that one class. It was that one class, Tony, that, that really shifted everything for me and, and just gave me that, that thirst to, to just learn and experience life. So that was really the time I would say I really got the opportunity to be challenged and pushed beyond this, you know, read and repeat, read and repeat or, or regurgitate a system that we have in, in our uh, schooling systems. No, I think it's great. I appreciate you uh, sharing a little bit of that story too, because um, 
I don't necessarily know if we're not challenged. I think I like the word you used, boredom. I think there's a lot of boredom in our education today. Simple fact, they're teaching a lot of stuff that isn't really practical. I'm not using a lot of stuff that I learned as a child. Right. But it was things that I learned, like going to school, having structure, being good at following through, Mm -hmm. spending extra time researching, reading, picking somebody that you look up to and maybe doing a a report on them and educating you know, educating yourself more on who they are. That's where I became this whole idea of wanting to become an archaeologist. And it's, it's still on my bucket list. It's something that I hope when I, you know, retire that I'm going to be able to give my time to just spending it looking up because I'm a big person of reflection. So when you reflect back, what are some three moments like you can remember that we can dig up a little bit together today, looking back at your past that were pivotal moments in your life? that really shaped you as the person you are today. Can you look back for me just for a moment? Well, uh, those, those are really good questions uh, or, or, or a good question to think about. And, and I'll say in no particular order sure. that, you know, you have these little flashes and you have these, these, these little things that kind of come up for you that, that do stick with you. I remember one time it was, I had to have been maybe seven or eight years old maybe younger than that, maybe younger than that. So I, I came into the, the, the understanding of the word approximately. So I'd, I'd heard this word approximately, and somehow I, I heard the word incorrectly. Or let me say it this way, I heard the context of the word incorrectly. So what I, what I came to understand was that the word approximately meant exactly. And that's not what it means, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I came and understand that that's what, it, that's what it meant. So I would use the word approximately in that way. You know, someone would say, well, hey, what time is it? I would say it's approximately 537. And, you know, they would, you know, kind of, okay, that's kind of weird. And or someone would say, well, how much does this thing cost? Well, it cost approximately $13.12. You know, between six and seven and eight, here I am, I'm using this word approximately out of context and had no idea uh, until someone said to me, you know, you're not using that word correctly. And I'm thinking, wow, I must be smarter than an adult, <laughs> right? Because this adult is telling me I'm not using this word correctly. They said, well, no, let's, let's look it up together. So we looked up the word approximately and I found out what it meant. And there, there were a lot of lessons that came out of that, Tony, because I think a lot of times when we're growing up, we, we think we know everything yep. <laughs> to, to a large degree. And I kind of came to the realization that I don't know anything. There's this, you know, big bucket of stuff out here that I just don't know as an individual. But also the, the importance of being open to being wrong about something. I thought I was right, but, uh, but being open to being wrong was something that I, I know has, has made a significant change or, or significant impact in my life because that, that person could have said, well, well, no, you're wrong and just left it at that. And I could be here at 45 years old using approximately in this completely weird way uh, that, that no one would understand well, what is wrong with this guy, you know? So I would say that story sticks out because I see that happening not only in my life, but, but in other people's lives and that we, we, we create context around things that may be inaccurate. Yep. And like when you asked at the very beginning of this, of this call is that, What's my definition of success? And a lot of times people have the wrong context of what success is. And, and they find themselves going after a thing that might not really be the thing that they think it is. And I know a lot of people who've had that experience. Well, they may have attached a certain amount of money to success and they may have hit that amount of money. But now they don't have the health that they want. They don't have the relationships that they want. And is that really success at the end of the day? But if you if you're living your life through the, an incorrect paradigm, you're going to do everything with that in mind. So that I would say was an, absolutely a, a pivotal point in my life is one understanding that yes, you can be wrong. Yes, you can have a a, a an absolute positively incorrect perspective of a thing, but thinking that you're right, uh, thinking that you're right, and and that was really huge for me. Another, and this kind of relates more so to business was in, in high school, well, middle school, really, I, I ended up, I started selling candy. 
And I did very well at selling candy. <laughs> uh, I would bring candy to school and I, I would have people ask, oh, you know, let me have some of your Kit Kats or some of your Snickers bar or whatever. And I was, you know, ah, no. So eventually I said, well, let me just, let me just bring a couple of extra ones. So in case someone asks, I'll just sell it to them. And at the time I didn't really think about it, but I sold it to them at cost. You know, really, did, I didn't know any better. So I sold it to them at cost. It was, you know, maybe about 35 cents or so. Eventually, I started bringing more and more candy, and I started selling candy at cost. Now, there were two things that happened. One, it's really difficult to start making change for, for 35 cents. That, that was one thing that kind of hit me. But the other thing was, I was like, man, you know, I'm putting in this time to bring this candy to school, and I'm not getting anything from it. So I said, well, I'm going to charge 50 cents for my candy. That was 35 cents. So I started doing that, and wow. Here's this thing that just really hit me at, at this, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old profit. <laughs> wow. What a concept. And I had no idea what profit was at the time. And I probably wasn't even calling it profit at the time. So I would buy, buy candy at 35 cents and then I would sell it at 50 cents. And that was just a really cool thing for me because I was looking at it this way. If I could sell five or six of these, I could get my candy for free. Wow, what a concept. So I was getting my candy for free. And, and next thing you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this is this awesome thing that I'm getting candy every day for free. But more and more people started asking for candy. So what lesson am I learning there? Supply and demand, right? So here I am selling candy and I started figuring out different ways to bring all this candy to school. I was stuffing everything in my backpack. Some nights not even bringing my, my homework, uh, my books home because I needed space for my candy. <laughs> so, so, so with that, I, I started selling more and more candy. And then I would have people to say, well, hey, you know, so-and-so wants two Snickers and this person wants a Kit Kat. So then I started recruiting people to, to selling my candy. So now I'm building a team. Wow, that, that was an amazing lesson. I had no idea, you know, what I was doing at the time. So I had other people selling my candy for me and it started making me a lot of money. And, and the one thing that really, I think, shifted in that entire process was I started bringing my, my chocolate candy to school in a cooler. And the reason why I bought it to school in the cooler is because I liked cold chocolate. You know, So by the time lunch would typically happen, your Kit Kats or your Reese's Cups and all those things would be melted. So I brought everything in a cooler and people loved it. People absolutely loved it. And I remember one day what happened was I was, I had two Snickers bars left and there, and there was a young lady, Denise. I remember she said, um, you know, I want, I want these two Snickers bars. And then another young lady walked up and she says she wanted a Snickers bar. So they were like, no, no, I was here first. I was here first. So they got into a bidding war and I ended up selling these two Snickers bars for a dollar. Now, mind you, I had paid 35 cents for these Snickers bars and I sold them for a dollar. I was just like, whoa, this was amazing. So the next day, I had the bright idea to sell my Snickers bars, all my chocolate, my Snickers, my Reese's Cups, and all this for a dollar. And Tony, oh my gosh, man, it changed everything for me. You know, looking back now, just like, man, the profit margin on that was insane at that time. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that, there were other kids that were selling candy as well, but people wanted my candy because I brought my candy to school in a cooler. So at that time, you know, again, I had no idea, but I was actually developing my own USP, my own unique selling proposition. And, you know, I got to the point where I was selling so much candy. I was doing about $1,300 a month, so much so that I actually got put out of school. They thought I was selling drugs, all types of stuff. It was it was a big mess. But the, the thing that that really got me there, Tony, was it, it, it got me my first taste into business. It got me my first taste into being able to generate my own income. You know, I had never thought about that before. I'd done chores around the house and my mom would pay me a few bucks. I'd even done, done some work for the, the guy who lived across the street from us. They ran a uh, janitorial service and they would, allow, they would allow me to come out with them sometimes and help clean up the offices and I found that I was horrible at that, but that's a whole nother story in itself. But they would pay me a few bucks for, for going out and helping them clean up. But that was what I understood you did to make money. You, you went out and did this thing 
and you got money in exchange and someone was supposed to give you that money. But at 13, 14 and 15 selling candy throughout that time period, I came to the understanding that I could create my own income. And man, even at that age, I, I had no idea what I what I'd done for myself and exposed myself to. And that's really what I think created my thirst for for business. And 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 that I will say has has been the the, the great thing that I've experienced mm-hmm. over the years, which I will say kind of leads into that third thing. When you asked the third thing that was a pivot for me, the third thing for me was was getting fired from my last job. So I, I've only had three jobs my entire life, and, and I got fired from all three of them. <laughs> and it's not because of insubordination, not because I'm a horrible and, you know, as, as, you know, following instructions, et cetera. But what I've come to the, what I came to the conclusion of through that was, is that I'm just a horrible employee. So <laughs> funny I can, story. I can totally relate. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I ended up working for, I don't know if I can say the company online here, but um, I ended up working for a major corporation in their IT department. And I was one of the best techs, if not the best techs that they that they had had in there, because I was told that by other techs. I was told that from my by my supervisors. I was so good that I was doing about five times the amount of work as other other guys were doing. And they just couldn't understand why. A lot of it came from the fact that I was already doing a lot of this stuff prior to coming in. I was doing it to eat. So when you have to do something to eat, you tend to get really good at it. So the way our, our system worked is that on Mondays, we'd get these work orders to, to build computers by Friday. So they would say, okay, by Friday, you need to have these 12 computers completed for the new employees that are coming in. So I would start on these computers on Monday. I would work on them all day Monday, work on them all day Tuesday. And usually by Tuesday evening or Wednesday, I would have all the computers done for the entire week. And they were like, man, how are you getting these computers done so quickly and so, you know, and, and accurately? Well, you know, that's my secret. And, and I stayed with that. So after about doing this for about two weeks, I would get my computers done on Tuesday or Wednesday, and I just wouldn't come in to work on Thursday or Friday. So Monday I would come in and it's like, hey, where were you? You didn't, you didn't come in Thursday or Friday. No call, no show. What's going on here, buddy? Well, I got all my computers done on Wednesday so I didn't think I needed to come in on Thursday and Friday. And they're like, no, man, it doesn't work like that. You have to come in every single day. You've got to come in every single day. You can't just choose what days you're going to take off. And I'm like, oh, man, geez. Okay. So the next week, I got my work order, got all my computers done on Wednesday and Thursday. And what I would do is I would come in, work for a couple of hours, and then leave. Hey, dude, what happened to you? It was you know, 11 o'clock, we were looking for you and you're gone. Oh, I left early. Well, you left early for what? Did you have an appointment? Did you have a dentist? No. Did you, know, did you, did you have something going? No, I just, I left because I was done and you guys said I need to come in every day. So I came in and I stayed for a few hours and then left. No, dude, you can't do that. You've got to work eight hours a day. That's how corporations work. You can't just come in and go, you know, okay, fine. I'll come in every day. I'll work my eight hours a day. So the next week, got my work order, got all the computers done. I would come in at four o'clock in the morning and leave at noon so I could get my eight hours in. So after noon, I would be gone. And they're like, where were you? We just told you, you got to be here. I said, listen, you told me I need to be here every day and I'm here every day. You told me I've got to work eight hours. So I work my four to 12. I work my eight hours. Okay, you know what? You're fired. <laughs> You're fired. So I remember Stephanie, wonderful, wonderful woman. She, she brings me in the office, and I guess we were doing my exit interview. She says, Antonio, I want to tell you something. She says, you are the worst employee I've ever had, and I want to recommend that you never, ever get a job ever again. And I sat back like, what what and what she says to me is now with that being said you're one of the best technicians i've ever ever <laughs> seen in my entire experience of being here but you don't fit into the corporate culture and i know you don't believe me now but i just want you to know that whatever venture you put yourself into you're going to do very well 
but it's not going to be at a job. And I cannot, even with good conscience, recommend you. I couldn't give you a letter of recommendation for a job because you are not an employee that a corporation would want. And that really, Tony, it hit me and I couldn't understand it at the time. But again, I appreciated Stephanie doing that because if, if she, if I would have stayed there, who knows where I'd be now. But it really made me understand that the way I think is, is that of an entrepreneur and, and not that of an employee. And there's nothing wrong with employee thinking, but I know it's just not me and I just don't fit into those conforming environments. So when I think about the, the things that really pivoted for me and that, that absolutely positively has to be one of them. And that's where I know I couldn't look back from there. And that was the very last job that I had. Man, today's guest is Antonio Thornton, the mouth of money, mouth marketing. And we just got his top three, kind of some big things that kind of shaped who he is a little bit through life, right? No particular order, but number one, back when he was little, using the word approximately and meaning in his head, he thought it meant exactly. And we learned exactly what it wasn't. And one thing we figured out too is his hustle, his game, figured out selling candy. At first, it was just break even, but then something, revenue and profit started coming in. Before you know it, he decided to up his game and now he's bringing a cooler to school and selling candy. People arguing over, hey, that's my candy bar. No, no, that's my candy bar. And bam, a dollar. You know, he all of a sudden went from a $35 buy to a dollar. And he started seeing this profit margin start showing up in his game. And then being unemployable, right? Not needing to go work for somebody when he's got dreams of his own and wants to go live those dreams out himself and kind of shaping a little bit of who he is and getting that, you know, I've got an entrepreneurial mindset, right? There's nothing wrong with an employee mindset, but there's something that shapes us. And I'm thinking, just I'm thinking for a moment back to that discovery program and how important it was for you to put your head down on the table Mm. and for you to listen to sounds that weren't in your head and to hear things like flipping through pages and you're like, yeah, books and upbringing and, you know, being from Atlanta and having just kind of this overall kind of arching theme to your life. And you mentioned a little bit of the mafia. I can only think about mafia and selling candy. I kind of got, I got that little <laughs> going on this morning, but some powerful lessons. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to become the Sherpa. Take us down success mountain. And when we come back, we want to dive in to just some of those 13 businesses over the last 15 years that you've been a part of. We'll run through them because 13 is a lot in the last 15 years, but nine of them you say were a complete failure. And I, I'm here to tell you, you're not a complete failure. You're a complete gold mine of knowledge. And I'm going to dig in as much as I can. I'm going to start picking away and I'm going to start finding mm-hmm. all these little nuggets that you got to share. So when we come back, we are going to drop some more knowledge today with Antonio Thornton. My name is Tony Grebmeyer. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Be Fulfilled podcast. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers. Clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. We are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast. My name is Tony Grebmeyer. It is the real stories behind success. Today's guest, Antonio Thornton, kicked it off today about connection, right? We've met a couple times and there's a connection, right? We just, we understand each other. I think because we come from that kind of entrepreneurial background and we want to help people and you've got a big mission too. You've got some good stuff going on. We were talking at break about a Facebook community you're working on, the fearless impact movement and I think empowering people today and equipping them with they are enough and giving them a boost up and helping them. Like I always believe back in like Super Mario Brothers when a little magic mushroom came along and I, you know, I ate it or the star bounced onto the screen and I got it. Like things sped up for me. When, when you look back and, and you mentioned a lot in, the, in the, the first half of the show, did you have a mentor growing up? Did you have somebody that basically took you under their wings and really kind of coached you up to get to kind of the level you're at today? Uh, you know, Tony, that's a really great question. I didn't really run, I, I find mentors until I think my, my later years in life. And, and it was really mainly because I didn't know what a mentor was. I didn't know that I should be seeking out someone to, to say, hey, listen, 
I've been down this street and there are potholes down the street. You know, here's a better street to go down. Or if you want to go down that street, fine. But here's how you avoid the potholes. So I, I think because I didn't really know to look for a mentor, I didn't look for one. And and I so I would say that no one person showed up, but I would say lots of people showed up in different ways. You know, my 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 dad was was an awesome guy, and I can look back and appreciate who he was now and and what he was for me, particularly around the the idea of doing the best you can with what you have. And, you know, my, my dad grew up really poor. His mom was, was an alcoholic. His dad wasn't around. And he ended up having to raise his sister and his blind grandmother from the age of eight, nine years old. And, you know, when I come, came to understand that story, I, I, I really started seeing my dad in a very different way. You know, we look at our dads and we say, you know, you know, it's our dad. But, you know, he started looking very differently to me. And, and I was, you know, really amazed that he was able to do as much as he was able to do hmm. when he had come from such humble beginnings. But the thing that I really got from him and that I, that I know really helped me along the way is, is just his thirst for knowledge. He was, you know, he was a consummate reader and learner and he was, he was constantly taking in information no matter what it was. My dad was, was so, he, he was, he was so connected to the, the idea and concept of learning. He would be one of the folks that would actually invite Jehovah's Witnesses in when they came to knock on the door, where most people would dive behind the, 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 the couch pretending like they weren't home. He would actually invite them in and they would sit down and have these conversations, you know, about religion and, and, and religiosity, which is a part of what got me so interested in understanding religion and, and theology. But he really helped me to see in his way, in, in the way that he knew how he, he helped me to see that knowledge was, was important, he had, that, that constantly learning was was important. So that opened my eyes to being to being open to everything and everyone and also recognizing that you can learn lessons from any and everyone no matter who they are. And that's I would say, you know, life has been more so a mentor to me. Now there are a few people that I can definitely point to, um some folks that you might even know like uh Sean Casey for example. Uh really really great guy who I remember kind of took me on Jeff Paul another guy as well and but those kind of came later on in life. And, and I'm definitely thankful for them. And, and a big part of what's kind of come out of, of what I'm doing today came from my relationship with Jeff. You know, there's a program that you remember I, I told you about before called Time Bank. You know, what Time Bank does is, you know, helps take the employeeship out of entrepreneurship. And that came from one of my mentors helping me through my own challenges and issues. So I would, I would definitely say I've had many. I, I've definitely had many mentors and, and just being open to the, the, the mentor life. The story you just told about how people go and duck when they see someone coming, they're fearful of. Or right. maybe they don't want to get into a conversation or discussion because God knows why. It brought up like this interesting point, man. Like I, I think back at my life about how I ran Instead of running into something, I ran from it because of fear. You struggle with fear growing up at all? You know, I think I had to learn fear as we all do. And, and, and I think my experience, you know, came from pushing, pushing the envelope and, and, and moving, moving into spaces that were outside of my comfort zone. Like, for example, I never knew that neighborhoods existed. And when I say neighborhoods, meaning groupings of people who live in neighborhoods and seem to feel the need to protect their neighborhoods by beating up other people who come through their neighborhoods. I didn't even know that was a thing until, you know, riding on my bike, I was by myself one day and I'm, you know, going down a lot of different streets and just, just, just exploring like, like any other young boy would do. And I remember turning down one street, San Juan, and San Juan Avenue, if I'm not mistaken. And for some reason, there were there were a group of guys that were kind of standing out, just kind of out having, you know, playing, having a good time. And as I as I rode down the street, they they saw me coming, so they they kind of moved into the street for some reason. And and I'm thinking, wow, you know what's going on? So I kind of moved over on my bike and. As I'm going down this, this street, they, they started kind of yelling at me. And I'm saying, you know, what, what's going on here? 
And one guy ended up throwing a, a stick at me. And, and I'm like, what, what is happening right now? <laughs> you know? And again, I'm this, I'm this kid and I'm just like, I'm, I'm just riding my bike. So I, you know, I managed to get out of there fortunately because I'm, I'm on a bike and they started even chasing me, you know, which is, which is totally insane. So I, when I got back home, I, I told my older, older brother about it. He goes, yeah, you know, that's probably not the best neighborhood to go in. I'm thinking, uh, you know, I live in a neighborhood and we don't do that, but because I'm not from their neighborhood, it was, you're not supposed to be here. So that I got to say, Tony, that's one of those times where you have to look back and say, I've learned fear now. Mm. I've learned to not go into other people's neighborhoods because I could get killed. I can get hurt by going into someone else's neighborhood. And from that moment on, I stopped going into neighborhoods that I wasn't familiar with. So just like any other fear, I think it's learned through situations, through through happenings and 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 then we not knowing any better we take those things on and and not having the 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 system or support system around it to to help push you to beyond those fears those things we start gathering these collections of fears and we hold on to them and and in almost every area of our lives we we do you know i i would say you know that i grow up with fear I you know no more than any other person does through the experiences that they have or some of the less than desirable experiences that they may that they may have. Out of the thirteen businesses that you've started in the last fifteen years, nine of them I keep coming back to that that you say were complete failures. Mm-hmm. What's the one you're most proud of? Hmm. That's a great question. The one that I'm most proud of. Well, it was the the very first business I started, it was a paging and cell phone company. Uh, to let you know how long ago it was. We, we sold pagers and cell phones. And I was proud of that business because it was, I have to say, it was my first business. Hmm. It was my first real business. At, at 13, when I was selling candy, I, I was you know, really, I was breaking the school rules. I mean, you, I wasn't supposed to be. And, and I remember they even had to rewrite the school laws that I, that you couldn't sell candy for me because of how much candy I was selling, which is crazy. But that was my first, I would say, legitimate business. And it was the thing that let me know that this is what my life is going to be. This, this is it for me. And I, I saw how many people's lives I touched. And, and it got me, got me really, really clear with, even though you sell a widget, you know, whatever that widget is, whatever that thing is, it actually impacts people's lives. Because when I, when I think about how many lives that may have been saved from the pages and cell phones that we sold, how many people, you know, how many situations were, you know, averted and the dads who were paged when the mom went into labor and he was able to meet her at the, at the hospital or pick her up, you know, all those types of things. And, and people would come back with these types of stories. They would come back and say, you know, wow, you know, this pager helped me, blah, 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 blah. And, and that gave me a sense of, of meaning. It wasn't just me now selling a widget in exchange for the $7 a month that we were charging for the, for the paging service. It was actually providing people a means of communication for whatever communication they needed at that time. But it, it, it provided a better way of living for them. And, you know, we, we initially started out with just pages and then we went to selling cell phones. So that changed things as well. You know, we, I mean, we sold like the big bag phones and the big brick phones, you know, <laughs> again, like I said, how long ago that was, but You're it, not dating it, yourself. don't worry about it. They still carry those brick phones around. I used to, I used really? to have a Motorola phone that I used to use for radio broadcasting. We used to flip it upside down. The antenna faces down and you'd speak into it. That's how I broadcasted live. Right. So you're talking my day. I had a Skytel pager. All those beeps, man, got me to go to the phone and call my girl and say, hey, what's up, baby? I'm on my way. I'm on my way, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, the day, the day of the payphone, you know, that was another thing as well. But, but I will say, Tony, when I, when I think about what I am most proud of is that company, Page World was the name of it. And I was so thankful for the opportunity. I ended up partnering with a guy who was a lot older than I was, and he saw the potential in me, and we we partnered on the on it, and and grew it into a really 
really great company, um, you know, until he took off and took a half a quarter million dollars and left me broke. But I, I would say again, that was, it was a great experience because it, it, it showed me that, you know, I'm changing lives with a business that I'm, that I'm doing and making money at the same time. So I would say that, I would, that, was, that would be the one I'm most proud of. Do you know why I asked you that question? Why's that? Because usually the thing that uh, we're most proud of, we're not doing. Mm. Wow. Wow. You know, I don't know. I don't know necessarily if we're chasing something or if we just get caught up in the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, like one of the things that I love about our time together is it's intentional. But I love how we reflect because, see, if we stop telling the stories of yesterday, who's going to carry those stories to the next generation? Right. And, and tell people adversity. Right. So nine failures. Show me some of your successes out of the last 13. Give me some four ones, like other ones that you're really, really proud of. After I uh, had the split with the gentleman from Page World, I, I ended up getting into technology. Well, I was already into technology. I ended up starting a technology company. And, and I started that company with literally $37. My, my very first customer was a woman who needed a CD-ROM installation and, and again, the, to let you know how long ago this was, this was when computers were actually sold without CD-ROMs. And she wanted to upgrade her computer to, to have a CD-ROM. So I, I went to a couple of stores at the time. And, you know, I got, I, I managed to, get to meet this guy. He was, he's in a north, north of where I was living. He ran a wholesale computer store where he sold parts wholesale. So he sold me a CD-ROM for $37. And I turned around and installed and, and sold her the CD-ROM for 50 bucks. And that was the start of Less Systems. And uh, I named Less LES Systems. It was after my mom. And Less Systems, I got to tell you, was, was definitely one of the biggest eye-opening experiences for me as well. But I started that company with $37 and grew it to about 400 k a year. And this is, you know, without an MBA, this is without a college degree, without any of those things that you think you need to build a successful business or, or, or to do anything of significance. Because again, I was, you know, education was a big deal for me, but the, the path that I had gone down, I'd never gone to college because I started that, I started that paging and cell phone company at 17 years old. So I never graduated because I was running a company. And, you know, at 17, I was making about 75K a year, which is a lot of money at that time. So I, I, I couldn't really justify going back to school, even though I love learning, I love knowledge. But I, I was able to, to kind of leverage that experience into my technology company. And that would, I would say, is, is one of the, the biggest successes, I would, I would have to say, because I, I started it from scratch, from nothing, by myself. And, and built it to a really nice company, I felt at the time, uh, especially based on what I felt I had the capability of doing because I didn't have the degrees. I didn't have all this other stuff. I didn't have investors and all those other things. So it was the thing that I started from scratch and built to, to this wonderful, this wonderful experience that I had and ended up selling it off to my employees afterwards. I wasn't challenged as a child. But I am moved today talking to you about your heart, your passion, the way you tell stories and relate. I want to talk a little bit about Facebook and the Fearless Impact Movement group because it sounds like a lot of what you're up to is a lot based on your past experiences and trying to prevent others from necessarily wasting time in areas that maybe they don't need to. <clears throat> I'm a little choked up because I, I think people like you don't come around a lot where they want to give back. They're so, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Let me go sell everything that I've done now. Let's go make tons of money off of everybody. You've lived it, right? You're a man who's lived it. So tell me a little bit about the uh, fearless impact movement. group. So I will say this, Tony, you're, you're absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely right in that my, my, my drive and my passion for fearless impact comes as a direct result of my experiences. Growing up, fortunately, I didn't have a lot of fear until those fears started. I started gathering them. I, I guess that's the best way to put it. I started gathering these fears. But the, the thing that really hit me the most was it was post-divorce for me. I, I, I got divorced 
from my my now ex-wife. And there was a series of events that kind of happened throughout the, the next few years. And I like to say, you know, not to quote the show, but it was a series of unfortunate events that took place. Everything from the, the housing crisis that we dealt with to being uh, hit with a almost a half billion FTC lawsuit. But I lost everything. I lost everything as a result of it. I, I lost my house. I lost the rental properties. I lost my car. I lost literally everything. So I was homeless at that time. And it was a tremendously trying experience for me. And I'll, I'll come back to, to why I, I, I mentioned this, but, you know, being in that place of not having a place to live, I, I have to tell you is, is, is one of the most trying experiences that I, that I'd ever been through. You know, it's one thing to not know if you're going to be able to pay your bills. It's another thing to not know if you're going to be able to pay your your car note. But not having a place to live is a completely different experience. And I didn't have anywhere to go. And and, and let me say this. I didn't feel like I did. I didn't feel like I did because, you know, my, my family members, my brother had someone living with him. So I couldn't go there. Both my parents were, were dead. So I couldn't even go back home. I, I called a couple of family members and one family member in particular who lived in this huge house. I was thinking, well, maybe I can stay there for uh, a, a little while, but I'll just say it this way. I came to understand I wasn't necessarily welcome. So I, I, I found myself not having a place to live and it, it really broke me down as a man because not only did I feel like, you know, I had failed in these other areas, I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure as, as a man. And that experience was necessary for me, you know, to get to where I am now, because in that process, I remember meeting with uh, a young lady who beautiful, beautiful young lady, and just, just a beautiful spirit and, and warm, loving, caring person. We, we ended up meeting at a coffee shop and I remember having to ride the bus there. And, and having to get there early because I didn't want her to know that I wasn't driving that I, at the time. And we, we ended up talking and she's, she's kind of intuitive. Well, I don't say kind of, she is, <laughs> she's intuitive. And, and she was, as, as we were talking, she looked at me and was just kind of staring at me, just almost, almost a blank stare, almost as if she wasn't listening to what I was saying. And I said to her, I said, Hey, you know, everything good. She goes, can I ask you something? And I said, well, yeah, sure. So she kind of reached her hands out to me, both her hands, and, you know, as to, as to say, you know, put your hands in my hands. So I put my hands in her hands, and she asked me, do you love yourself? And Tony, in the middle of Starbucks, I started crying because, one, I'd never been asked that question before, and I'd never even considered the question before in any meaningful way. You know, if someone would have asked me any time prior to that, do you love yourself? Oh yeah, sure. I love myself. Blah, 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 blah. You know, but it, but did I really love myself? The, the real answer to that was no. I, I had come to understand that I did not love myself. What I'd loved in the past was my stuff. I loved my accomplishments. I loved the successes that I had. I never really had the opportunity to look at myself and create a real relationship with myself. You know, a lot of times we, we're going through things and we don't know why. You know, I, we don't know why we're experiencing the things that we're experiencing. And, and then we can go back and look back and say, you know, this is why I had this experience. I had to lose everything to find myself because with the lifestyle that I was living the, the travel, the, the women, the, all the stuff that there was no way that I could have ever found myself in that lifestyle. So I had to lose everything in order to find who I was, which, which is, you know, kind of led to, you know, this book that I'm kind of working on right now, which is, you know, divorcing your net worth, your self worth from your net worth, because I think we can do that as men. We, we do attach our self worth to our net worth. And, and these are two separate things. But for me, they were collapsed into one and I had to really rebuild myself. So 
kind of get back on track to what you were asking. But not to stop you, but to go along with you. I believe that for us to really kind of figure out our purpose, we almost have to give up everything that we hold, right? Yoda, Yoda wasn't wrong when he said, you must unlearn what you have learned. Right. Because my ego is what was running the show. Yes, absolutely. The fearless impact movement, do you think, was, like, do you think it was shaped from all of that stuff that happened? Absolutely, Tony, because after going through what I went through, I, I would have to say I, I, I kind of experienced a functional depression for, for, for years, almost a decade, I, I'd have to say. I, I experienced a functional depression in that I was just getting by, you know, I have the ability to get, go out and get clients because I, I know how to sell and all those types of things. So I would, I would literally just get enough to get by because I was holding on to the fear of, of all that I had experienced. You know, is this going to be yet another thing that's not going to work? Is this going to be, and, and, you know, I got to tell you, it is, it is really scary to have the FTC come knocking on your door to have accounts frozen and all this other stuff. That's a terrifying experience. And I had this fear of, of all of this stuff happening again. I used to have this recurring horrible vision of me being on stage and, you know, all these, this, these people, you know, cheering for me, Antonio, you know, and then, you know, having this, this, this group of people just come rush the stage, like the FBI come put me in cuffs and all these other things. And, and it was, it, it was irrational at the end of the day, but it was a real thing that was holding me back. And the thing is, is that for me, I know I have a message for the world. I know that. There's no question in my mind about that. Every, every fiber of my being knows that I have a message for this, for the world. And that message has been fuzzy over the last few years, but now it's come into clear vision for me. And that is fearless impact because there are millions of others who have a message to make this world a better place, to, to positively impact the world who are letting some type of fear, some type of, of struggle, hold them back from sharing with the world. And, and my philosophy now is, is that if you have this thing inside of you, you know, if you've been blessed to, to have, you know, God put whatever God has put inside of you, you have an obligation to get this out to the world, despite your fears, despite your, despite your shortcomings and whatever you make, whatever you're making up in your own mind your obligation is to get this out and, and fearless impact is, is what drives that. Man, I love that. What I heard today through our time together is connection, authenticity, integrity. Hey, I made mistakes, but I'm doing better today. The moment that was really kind of impactful was when your girl put out her hands and asked you to put your hands there together and then, you know, do you love yourself? That, that was a really big one because I don't think a lot of people ever stop to really ask themselves that, that important question, right? We're right. so busy. We're so like, I got to do this. I got to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And like, simple question. Do you love yourself? So I want to say thank you very much for being transparent, coming on the show and sharing about the FTC, FD, you know, FDA, all, all the FBI and all that fun stuff that goes along with it. But man, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for just being who you are. Well, absolutely, Tony. I I appreciate I appreciate being having the opportunity to share it. And my intention is is that my story helps someone else through where they, you know, what they're going through, what what might be holding them back. So I, I really, really hope that, you know, your you're asking me to do this is, is a blessing for someone else. So I appreciate you having me on, man. What I'd love to do today, Antonio, is I would love to bring you into what I call the fulfillment round. Okay. <laughs> no phone a friend, no lifelines, no guessing. Well, I guess you could guess. It just has to be just on the spot. Don't, don't ponder too much. If you don't know, yes, I'm cool with that. Because the fulfillment round is fun. It's just I want you to like... Be you cut loose. All right. So if you're ready, say I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Take you way back to, to grade school. First candy bar you ever sold. 
first candy bar I ever sold was a blow pop. The one with the star on it? No, that was a Tootsie Roll. You remember the those, Tootsie those Roll? Man, you could get another Tootsie Roll if there was like the guy with the bow and arrow. Right. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> if you were getting ready to go on stage today and deliver a speech or a keynote, what would be the jam that would welcome you on stage? What would be the jam? Uh, turn down for what? All right. I like it. What brings you the most joy in your life today? Undoubtedly, my extremely, tremendously wonderful children. I love it. How many kids do you have? I have two, nine and a 10-year-old. I love it. This is always a tough question to ask, but I want you to take it and think about it and, and, and maybe help as you're writing your book to put some more of that into this book, all right? All right. There's a day that you're born and a day that I don't know that we're going to die. In between there is a dash, a moment of time. And if you have a tombstone or an obituary, what would you want it to read about Antonio Thornton? He made an impact. That, that's, that would be it. He made an impact. I love that. If you were to go out to dinner, would I find you at a steakhouse or would I find you at a plant-based cafe? <laughs> well, if I'm going out with you, it's definitely a steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even eat. I was just chilling with you, you know? We were having a good time. <laughs> right. Um, we found, we found it, a bunch of sides to eat on, right? We were man, I, I always say this, man. Steakhouses have the best sides. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the reason why I'm always there. <laughs> yeah. But usually if, if I am out and about on my own or with my kids, we're at a plant-based, at a plant-based spot typically. I love it. Favorite place you visited in the world? Definitely Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Yeah, that's, uh, that is my spot. Where would be a, a bucket list spot for you today? Like if you had to pick a spot you hadn't been to, but you've been thinking about going? Egypt. Egypt for sure. Yeah. Um, I've, I've kind of put off going to Egypt and put it, put off, put it off and put it off. And um, that's definitely a bucket list for me. Let me ask this question. I think I was watching a program last night. It was talking a little bit about our hesitation about international travel. Rick Steves, real big, if you've never heard of him, I would tell mm -hmm. you to look it up, but he did a PBS special about don't put it off, right? We're connected with like 4% of the world population, and there's 96% of the world's population we're not connected with. And that really, that was big for me, right? That was, that was pretty big because I was thinking, man, you know, I visited some places, but I'm like, wow, I'm not connected. And I study archaeology, right, from just a, just a guy just sitting back in his chair or reading a book or talking about it with friends. And I was learning the other day about Tutankhamun, and, and we were learning about how his tomb wasn't, you know, ransacked. All of the, the jewels and all of the gold and all of his sarcophagus were all just intact. Over 3,000 years old, and it was just intact. And, you know, I was fascinated by the carvings, and, you know, it takes you back to Egypt. It takes you back to uh, this really interesting time. They tried to write him off, and that's another reason why no one looked for him or found his tomb is that they, they literally just tried to erase him because the next person who took over is like, hey, let's let's get rid of this this nineteen right. year old kid who died. You know, he was reigned for like about nine or ten years. And Egypt's right there on my bucket list. You know, it's uh, I was talking to my wife the other day, and and I'm like, that's on my bucket list. I remember watching my dad go and riding a camel and going through all of the pyramids. And I I, I think here's how I'm going to pull this together. What is stopping you from pursuing that bucket list item now? Mm, wow. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to have to use the excuse of, uh, <laughs> of time, man. You know, I, I, I think it's that that's really the, the only thing I can legitimately say. But I, I even feel that that's, that's ridiculous at the end of the day. So it's, there, there's, there's nothing holding me back, man. It's just, it, just making the choice. Uh, going, finding out what I need to find out to go. You know, you, you kind of inspired me to say, okay, you know what? What, what is it going to, what is it going to look like to go to, to Egypt for, you know, for a couple of weeks?
I love it, man. Antonio Thornton, I'm going to thank you for being a guest today. You are inspired by Antonio. You can find him on Facebook. You can actually go over and like his group, join his group, be a part of what he's doing. The one thing I love about Antonio is his gift to give. One thing I do know, and I'm going to leave you with it, I'm going to leave every audience member with it today. As we get older, time ticks faster for us. Mm. So now is the time to seize the moment of an opportunity. It's knocked at your door long enough. It's time to answer. It's time to say hello. Let's go. I want to uh, just tell you, man, just keep being you, keep being awesome. Awesome. And if there's anything I can do for you, as you always know, I'm just a phone call, text message, or a Facebook post away from being there for you, man. Have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for being in my life. I appreciate you, Tony. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, go make today the absolute best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. 